Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. Yom Kippur hits different, y'all. There, there's a solemnity to it. There's an intensity to it. There's a reverence to it. There's a beauty to it. There's a, a joy to it, but it's, but it's a different kind. It's not a jumping up and down celebratory joy. It's a, it's a joy of, of knowing that we have atonement. But yet at the same time, it's the weightiness and the heaviness of recognizing how that atonement came about. Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8 and your scriptures. We're going to examine the word of God here today. I've got an interesting word for you here that I think, please, God is going to bless you today, actually. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, for some of you, this is your favorite verse in the Bible. It's not an uncommon verse. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Someone say amen. Yeah, I know you're into that. <laughs> As am I. Listen, amen. I'll amen that one myself for sure. That is an important seminal scripture that we look at even on Yom Kippur. Okay, it was the last day of the Olympic Games in 1996. Some of you were in Atlanta uh, during the Olympics in 1996. It was uh, such an interesting time here in Atlanta. And I, and I went, I was, <laughs> you know, people joke, well, I, I was very young at the time. I was very young at the time, okay? I, and I went to as many events as I possibly could. Uh, but I, I couldn't afford that, that many events, right? I, I was just barely out of uh, Georgia Tech. And so I, I really, I didn't have the money to, to, to get all, and you had to actually order the tickets, I want to say like two years in advance. Uh, and so there was very little I could afford, but I went to as many events during the Olympics as I could. And uh, therefore, since I really couldn't afford that much, I went to a few events that were less in demand, okay? I went to the rowing. <laughs> you know, that was up at Lake Lanier. That was, that was fun. It wasn't like a high demand ticket. And, and, and like there were plenty of seats because, you know, it's just a longer river or whatever it was, the lake, along the lake. And then, and then one of my favorite events I went to, I went to Olympic table tennis. 
That's right. You're laughing at me. I know what you're doing. Hey, listen, I love a little ping pong. <laughs> Joe is still the number one ping pong player of Beth Hillel. There he is right there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Receive some applause. That's wonderful. Uh, <clears throat> kind of hurts. I was number two. Uh, <laughs> I am the only... <laughs> I am the only person in Bethlehem's history. This is not in my notes, y'all. I am the only person in Bethlehem history to have sustained an injury playing ping pong at Bethlehem. And and when I say sustained an injury, <laughs> wow. You know, Yom Kippur is the time where you got to lay yourself vulnerable before the Lord, right? You just got to, you got to, it's a time of confession. It's a time of admitting things. It's a time of just letting yourself out there. Okay, when I say I was injured in ping pong here at Bethlehem, it was during a Temple Teen event and a a college age event. And I came and I was thought I'd school the young people. And and, and the guy I was playing is actually in the back, uh, Mr. David, and he was very good. And, uh, but what was even more humiliating, wow, the guy I was playing, David back there, had a broken leg at the time, okay? It, it, he had a, like a, a leg cast thing, and play, he was playing me, uh, you know, it's embarrassing. Uh, he was very, he's very good. He's very, very good. And, uh, and it, it, like I said, even more embarrassing to get injured playing a guy in ping pong who has a broken leg. That's even worse. But it's not just an injury like, oh, I twist my... I had to go to the hospital, y'all. <laughs> I've never admitted that publicly before. <laughs> wow, this is good for me for Yom Kippur. I'm getting it all out here. <laughs> oh, I I torn some muscles in there. It was took me a while to recover. In fact, I think it was during the Yom Kippur season, I actually came to Rosh Hashanah limping. Uh, some of you may remember. Okay, uh, where was I in the message? Oh, Lord. Some of you are saying, now we know why the tickets were free. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, during the Olympics, went to Olympic table tennis. It was actually amazing. It was actually really remarkable to see. You know, they, they they play like 25 feet from the table sometimes. It's ridiculous how incredible. It was amazing. I loved it. Now, I did splurge for one track and field evening, and that was down at Turner Field, and that was really off the chart amazing. Saw Michael Johnson and uh, win a gold medal. It was a really remarkable time. So I enjoyed the Olympics while they were here. I did a lot of different things during the Olympic Games and had a good time with it. And uh, But here it was, the, the last day of the Olympics. When I say the last day, I mean the closing ceremonies were going to be that night at around 8 o'clock. And it was the last day, and I, I didn't have any more tickets. I just had tickets for the three things, and I went to them and loved it and had fun. But, you know, again, kind of poor and just enjoying myself, whatever. And so the last day of the Olympics, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go downtown just to kind of be with the crowd and, and maybe just to hopefully see what I could see. And I thought, you know what, maybe I'll go and, and, and maybe somebody will have some last minute tickets they're looking to unload. You know, they had a number of events the last day of the Olympics, the very, very last day of the closing ceremonies that night. And so I thought, 
you never know. Somebody may be like, well, I got an extra ticket. You want to go? So I just went by myself just to, just to, on the off chance I might be able to find an extra ticket to something, you know, uh, almost anything really I was looking for. And, but the time went on and I was down there in the kind of Olympic area and, uh, and nothing was really happening. I, I was, it was still fun though. I was just being, and it got to be around four o'clock in the afternoon. And then, and then there was this guy and this guy, you know, I, I saw him he, and he was talking to people and he was talking to these people and these people. And, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll check this out, you know? And so I went over there to him and sure enough, he had some Olympic uh, tickets that were still uh, for an event that was uh, like around six o'clock or something. And uh, the event was, well, it was uh, not exactly something I'm really up on. It was a uh, team handball. Okay. Team handball. Croatia versus Sweden. Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to confess to you, I really don't follow team handball, okay? I don't know about you. I'm sure there's a lot of handball experts in here, but uh, I don't think I've ever seen a handball game. I, don't, I certainly don't know any of the rules of handball. And uh, I'm sure the Croatian team and the Swedish team are really good, but I don't even know who to root for. I don't know. I don't even know. I wouldn't even know who won. I, handball. I don't know what that is even, really. Handball. Uh, you know, but it was an Olympic game ticket, and it was, listen, the, the, the closing ceremonies were in five, four or five hours, so it's like, well, um, okay, uh, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I can, I can, I can sell you a ticket, and I'm like, uh, okay, uh, well, what do you want for the handball ticket, and we go through a negotiation, and finally we end up at like, I don't know, 35 40 bucks, something like that. It's like, okay, well, at least I get to go to another Olympic event. And that's, I'm already down here. Why not? It was by the Georgia Dome and that area, you know, by the Phillips Arena, that whole area, the World Congress Center. And, uh, and so sure enough, I got, I got myself my, my $40 handball ticket, uh, something I'd never thought I'd say. Uh, and, and so then I, I went, it was about time for it to start. So I went, uh, and, and I looked at the ticket first, too, obviously, to make sure it was legit, because I had Olympic tickets in the past for the other events, so I knew exactly what they looked like. And, and sure enough, it was a, a legitimate uh, handball ticket, uh, you know, Olympic event ticket. And so then I went to where the handball game was supposed to occur, right? And, uh, and I got to the door, and they said, oh, the schedule changed. The handball game occurred at noon, Mmm, wow. That was cold, man. That dude shystered me. <laughs> that scalper absolutely owned me, man. I mean, it's like it was a legitimate ticket, but they had switched the schedule. The, the ticket said six o'clock or five o'clock, and, and it actually, they had moved it to noon that day. And so uh, the event had already occurred. And I thought, whoa. Man, I got shystered, man. It was a crummy way to end the Olympics because I thought the ticket would be fun and would be a blessing, right? But it was a curse. That ticket, <laughs> I looked at that ticket and they were like, 
Yeah, and I'm like, what? And immediately I'm like, the guy, what in the world? Of course, he knew that it had been switched. And he knew, of course, that some scalper or whatever. And I thought, oh, man, I can't believe that. And I was really bummed. And I just thought, wow. And they said, oh, wait, uh, bring the ticket into the ticket booth counter, whatever, the box office. And I thought, okay, and the ticket, I don't even know how much it was worth. It wasn't worth much, but I thought, well, maybe they're giving refunds because they thought, and at least I'll get some of my 40 bucks back or something, you know, or 30, 35 bucks, whatever it was. And, and so I went back to the, uh, to the ticket booth, you know, the box office in the area. Uh, and they said, I said, yeah, I said, well, it turns out this event was already, already occurred. And so it's a bummer. Uh, is there anything you can do or... I get money back on this or something like that. And they said, oh, they said, yeah, this was the handball thing. And I said, yes. And they said, okay, no problem. What we're doing is, is that we're substituting, if you want to give me that ticket, we're substituting that ticket for the women's gold medal basketball game. What? The women's gold medal basketball game at the Georgia Dome that sold out with the American team? led by Teresa Edwards, Lisa Leslie, Dawn Staley, and Cheryl Swoops, the, the women's dream team? Are you kidding me? The, the tickets that are going like $500 for the cheapest seats in the place? And they said, yep, here you go. <laughs> they said it starts in 25 minutes. Get on over there. And I'm like, what? These tickets are so hot. Unbelievable. And it turns out to this day, over 30,000 people there to this day, the highest attended women's basketball game in history. Over 30, the tickets were so hot. And what happened, of course, man, we won the gold medal. We won the gold medal. The United States won the gold medal. There's a documentary on ESPN that talked about that that game and that run led to the creation of the WNBA. And it was, it was an amazing game. I loved it. You know, USA, USA. I was saying USA. I was like, this is amazing, man. I came down here for nothing. I got a $1,000 ticket for 35 bucks, man. This is unbelievable. <laughs> it was so incredible, man. I had such a blast. And that was like, that was like literally, uh, if you look it up, it was at six o'clock. It was the last game of the whole Olympics that they had, uh, other than the marathon, you know, when they wore the marathon uh, during the closing ceremonies. It was the last event that, that started, if you will. And it was so much fun. <laughs> Remarkable. Remarkable how things change, right? On Yom Kippur, we focus on repentance and, and we talk about how much we've sinned and that we are in need of forgiveness. And that's well and true without question. And typically, y'all, my Kol Nidre message is similarly focused in that regard. A time to look within, to determine what we need to change in our lives, and uh, and I wrote a, a special message that's really, I think, and it's 
going to be tomorrow. Okay, this, that's, it's going to be tomorrow's message. Uh, but on that level, this message today for Kol Nidre is actually a little bit different for me. Because I have a message for you today that is at its core, really a particularly uplifting message for you today. This is what the Lord has given me for this Kol Nidre for you today. And I want you to receive it. It's, it's very interesting, the connection that you may see here on this level. Uh, so I wanted to bless you. Uh, Joseph, I want to talk about Joseph today. And Joseph, of course, the story of Joseph is very long. And I want to focus on something toward the end of the story. So uh, just as by way of review, Joseph, you remember, was sold into slavery by his brothers. They had been so jealous of him. Jo uh, Joseph languished as a slave and then as a prisoner. And things were looking really, really, really bad for Joseph until he had an opportunity to interpret a dream for Pharaoh. You know the story. And when the interpretation was deemed correct, Joseph was elevated to the top in the land of Egypt under Pharaoh. Really an amazing turnabout story. Something that you would see in a movie. <laughs> So later, just as, predict, just as predicted, just as Joseph had predicted out of the dream, the famine came, and Joseph's brothers had to come down to Egypt to survive the famine. Okay, so here it is, Joseph, the guy who was sold into slavery by his brothers. They were almost going to kill the guy. And in the end, okay, they sold him into slavery. He went into slavery, into prison, but then eventually things turned on its head because of his dream interpretation skills, the Lord threw him, and he was elevated to the land second under Pharaoh, and then famine hits, and here come the brothers, coming from, from Israel to survive the famine, to try to get some food, what have you, but they did not recognize him. Joseph recognized them. They didn't recognize him. Why? Because he was second in the land of all of Egypt to Pharaoh. So he probably had on the whole Egyptian garb. And who would expect to see the brother that they thought was long dead by then in an executive and in, in Pharaoh's in, in Egypt? No one would have expected that, of course. So they weren't looking for Joseph, that's for sure. And so they came and were presented before Joseph. And at that time, the first time they came to him, Joseph is filled with emotion, but doesn't reveal himself to his brothers. And after a, a long and interesting story, which you can read about, they, they left and they came on a second trip back to Egypt, and Joseph again tests his brother's intentions. He wants to find out what's going on with him. Genesis chapter 44, please. He wanted to, to see where they were at. He wanted to see if his brothers were the same as they had been or had something changed in the brothers. What, was, what were they going to be like? What was the interaction going to be like, et cetera, et cetera? And so we read in Genesis chapter 44 something very interesting because what does he do? He sends them back, all these brothers, he sends them back with food, but he does something kind of slick. He sticks a silver cup. He has his people stick one of his silver cups in the, the knapsack, essentially, Benjamin and, and his youngest brother's bag. 
as if, as if Benjamin's stealing it. He planted the evidence, okay, is what he did. And after they leave, he then sends troops after them as if to catch them in the act of trying to steal some of his silver. That's where we're going to pick up the story today, everybody. So let's go to Genesis 44. And Mr. Cummings, maybe you could in here, maybe one degree warmer for, for folks. Genesis chapter 44, verse 11. It says this, Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. So they came and they said, Open your sacks. We want to see what you have. We want to see if somebody's stolen something. This is when they were on their way back to Israel. Verse 12, he searched them beginning with the eldest and finishing with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Oh, no. All the brothers looked and saw, oh, no. Oh, no. The silver cup of, of, of this Egyptian ruler is in Benjamin's sack. Somehow, he has that which does not belong to him. Verse 13, then they tore their clothing and each one loaded up his donkey and they returned to the city. So they were like, oh, Lord, no. And, they, and, they, and it says they tore their clothing. You know, tearing your clothing in Judaism is a symbol and an act of mourning. Uh, when, when someone very close to you passes away, when my mom passed away, I rent my garment. This is something that is very deep within kind of our, our Jewish people's core and culture, going all the way back in the scripture to Genesis. And they tore their clothing because they thought, oh, this, this, is, this, is, this is a death sentence. And so they packed all their stuff back up and they, they knew they, went back to, they had to go back to Egypt to, to face the, the music on this because this cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And Benjamin, most of all special to their father, Jacob. The first trip, they didn't bring Benjamin. That's why they had to make a second trip. Joseph said, don't you have any other siblings? And they said, well, we have Benjamin. He's, he's with dad. And he said, oh, bring back Benjamin. And they're like, why did we say we had a brother? Why did we do that? Because Benjamin's dad's favorite. He's the youngest and the only other one along with Joseph, who is the son of Rachel. And so they were distraught about this. And the silver cup is found in Benjamin's bag. It appears as though he was stealing. Of course, we know that he really wasn't. This was about as bad as it could get. This was, this was a curse of the worst kind that had befallen them. Because their father Jacob really didn't want Benjamin to go back with him. But they said, we got to bring Benjamin back. We told him. And the father was like, you better bring Benjamin back. One of the brothers said, I, on my oath, I, I, if whatever I have to do on my oath, I'm telling you, I will bring Benjamin back to you. And now here it is, Benjamin's the one caught with the, with the silver cup. And it's worse, of course, because Benjamin was innocent. He was innocent. I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life 
where it just felt like the odds were stacked against me. Perhaps you've been there at one time or another in your life. When bad things befell me and I couldn't see any way out of it. Sometimes my fault, sometimes not my fault. I assume you've been there at one time or another yourself. Spoiler. All things work together for good if you're called according to his purpose. So Joseph tells all the brothers, listen, not all of you have to suffer for Benjamin. Benjamin is the one that had the cup in his sack. So not, not all the rest of you have to suffer. The rest of you can go, only Benjamin will be my forever my slave. Only Benjamin. <laughs> well, back at home, remember Judah... Judah, one of the other sons, had promised their father he would bring Benjamin home. Jacob had been so concerned about him. So Judah speaks up on behalf of the brothers and tells Joseph how he must not let Benjamin remain. Verse 30. This is Judah speaking now. Now, if I come to your servant, my father, so if I go home and the boy isn't with us, since his life is bound to his life, since the father's life is bound to Benjamin's life, when he, being Jacob, the father, when he sees that the boy is no more, he'll die. Then your servants, us brothers, will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, Jacob, down to Sheol in grief. For your servants, talking about himself, Judah, for Judah, for I became pledged for the boy with my father, saying, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before my father all my days. So he's pleading, he's pleading with, with Joseph, who he doesn't know is Joseph. He says, so now please let your servant, meaning himself, let me remain as my Lord's slave in the boy's place and let the boy go up with his brothers. For how can I go up to my father and the boy is not with me? Else I must see the evil that would come upon my father. Whew. Man, that's an intense story. That's an intense moment. Oh my gosh, do you hear the heart of Judah there? Do you feel the pulse beat of, of this man and his brothers when it came to Benjamin, when it came to their father, when it came to what had befallen them in this time and in this place, and this horrible, horrible, horrible moments? So in this infinite moment of agony, Judah steps up and shows that something has changed about the brothers. Something has changed. 
They're no longer so self-absorbed that they're willing to dispose of one of their brothers who is perceived as the father's favorites. They are now willing to sacrifice themselves for their brother and their father. Wow, you can imagine Joseph. Scriptures say at this point, Joseph weepingly reveals to his brothers who he really is. Weepingly, he reveals to his brothers who he is. The brothers had assumed the worst when they discovered the silver cup. Let me say it again. Achim the brothers assumed the worst when they discovered the silver cup. They rent their garments. It's a sign of mourning. They were 100% positive that this was a curse. Perhaps divine punishment for what they had done to Joseph. But they were wrong. It was not a curse. And through them revealing their nature, the silver cup actually became a blessing as it showed how they were really good and had changed. And so Joseph provided for them so that they would not starve in the famine. So that which they thought was a curse actually was a blessing. And this is replete. This theme is replete in the story of Joseph. The next chapter, chapter 45, verse 4, it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, listen to this theme. This theme extends even to Joseph himself. Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near. I'm Joseph, your brother, the one you sold to Egypt, he said. Verse 5, so now don't be grieved and don't be angry in your own eyes that you sold me here, since it was for preserving life that God sent me here before you. For there has been two years of famine in the land, and there will be five more years yet with no plowing or harvesting. But God sent me ahead of you to ensure a remnant in the land and to keep you alive for a great escape. So now it wasn't you. You didn't send me here, but God. And he made me as a father to Pharaoh, Lord over his whole house and ruler over the entire land of Egypt. Wow. 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 Wow, Bill. Wow. <laughs> Do you see the same theme here? It's the same theme. For Joseph being sold into slavery, come on, surely seemed like the worst of curses at the time. 
But as if that wasn't bad enough, being falsely accused and sent to prison surely felt like the worst of curses at the time. And that may have been how it was intended. But in the end, it was actually for a blessing for Joseph and his family. It was, beloved, it was through that which seemed like a curse that many years later, God brought about redemption and salvation. Let me say that again. It was through that which seemed like a curse that many years later, God actually brought about redemption and salvation. This is one of the things that God does. Listen, listen, Shema, listen, everyone. Sometimes, sometimes, that which seems so negative is actually that which saves us. Let's go to Yeshayahu in the Tanakh, Isaiah chapter 53. Listen to the prophet Isaiah in the Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures. Beloved watching online, Isaiah 53 is in every synagogue in the entire world. Look it up and read the whole chapter for yourself, my Jewish brother and sister. This is in the Hebrew scriptures. Let's see what Isaiah 53 says about the Messiah who was to come in Isaiah 53. I want you to think about it relative to everything we've been talking about here today. The Messiah. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 2. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nor beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. How interesting, the Messiah would come, but instead of being embraced, He would be despised and rejected. One who was not esteemed. So in this, what do we see? We see this so clearly. A Messiah would be viewed as a curse. Despised, rejected not esteemed, kind of like Joseph. Verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our pains. 
the Messiah. Yet we esteemed him stricken, struck by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. The chastisement for our shalom, our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So Adonai has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Of us all. Many of my Jewish brothers and sisters think that belief in Yeshua is something that is antithetical to their Jewishness. When in truth, nothing could be further from the truth. God laid all of our iniquity, our sins upon him. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Beloved, that which seems like a curse is actually a blessing. Listen to me. Sometimes that which seems so negative is actually that which saves us. And at the end of the day, isn't that what Yom Kippur is all about? This is known after all as Yom means day, Kippur means atonement. Isn't that what this day is all about? Isaiah would continue to say in verse 10, Yet it pleased Adonai to bruise him. He caused him to suffer. If he makes his soul a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the will of Adonai will succeed by his hand. Skip to verse 12. Therefore, I will give him a portion with the great. And he will divide the spoil with the mighty because he poured out his soul to death and was counted with transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. The day of atonement. Oh, beloved, the day of atonement is when we seek forgiveness. It's when we seek for our sins to be atoned for. Doesn't it make sense to look into the Tanakh to determine what it takes to take our sins away? Isaiah tells us directly, it's Messiah's sacrifice. Let's get ready to conclude with Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. Because furthermore, friends, the prophet Zechariah also tells us of a time yet to come, yet to come, something still in the future. And what will happen to our people or Jewish people. Again, this is in every Hebrew Bible. My Jewish brother or sister, look it up yourself. This is God speaking. Zechariah chapter 12. I'm not looking to spin it. You determine who you think this is talking about. 
Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. God says, Then I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication when they will look toward me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Oh, my friends, that which we thought was a curse is actually a blessing. Yeshua is for us. And so there are lessons for us here on Yom Kippur. If you do not have a relationship with your Messiah, the whole reason that he came to earth was about Yom Kippur. The whole reason he came to earth was about Yom Kippur. It was to provide an atonement. Even if it seems foreign to you, Yeshua is the surprise blessing. And for those of you who know Messiah, as we are here on Yom Kippur, <laughs> perhaps you've recently discovered a silver cup in your bag. <laughs> Maybe you've unjustly been put in prison. Maybe, maybe a scalper just took advantage of you <laughs> and basically took your money. Regardless of your circumstances, don't fret. Don't think that God has forgotten about you. Even if you're languishing in that prison like Joseph was, God has not forgotten about you. We don't know all that he has planned. It might not be tomorrow. It might not even be this year. But if we stay faithful to God, he is always faithful to us, working for our good. The title of my message is From a Curse to a Blessing. Let's bow our heads. I want to ask if there's anybody in here who's never said a prayer to receive Yeshua as your Messiah. If that's you, then wow. Nothing could be more wonderful than to receive that atonement. And I know we have many people watching online as well. We had literally thousands watch for Rosh Hashanah. So if that's you and you've never said a prayer to receive Yeshua as your Messiah, but you would like to today, if you're in here, lift your hand and we'll pray together. If you've never said yes to Messiah, but you know it's the truth. You want to receive Yeshua as your Messiah. Perhaps you're watching online. You've never said that prayer before. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear God, I humble myself before you. And if you raised your hand in here, just even silently repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear God, I humble myself before you. I accept Yeshua into my heart right now. 
I believe he's risen again, sitting at your right hand. Please forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry I sinned. I'll live the rest of my days for you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for being a blessing to me in Yeshua's name. If you said that prayer for the first time, if you're watching online, please send us an email. We want to just celebrate with you or listening on the podcast. Or if you're here, please see me after the service. I want to rejoice with you because you've just had the greatest blessing you could ever have in your life. Lord, I thank you for each and every person who's here, God. Lord, thank you for taking us wherever we're at, Lord, and for showing us, Lord, that that which, which we see is only partial. We don't have the full picture. We don't have your perspective on things. Lord, we recognize Romans 8, 28, but that even applies when we're going through it, when something may even seem like a curse. Lord, time after time after time after time in your word, you reveal to us that that which seems like a curse is turned into a blessing. So Lord, whatever it is that our, our people are going through here today, God, I pray that you give them the perseverance to make it through and the perspective to know that, God, you can turn this curse into a blessing. And, Lord, let me be patient and steadfast and faithful until such time as you do so. Thank you, Lord, for the atonement I have in Moshiach Yeshua. Oh, Lord, I thank you for this. Thank you for the lesson to each of us on this Yom Kippur. We bless you for these things. B'Shem Yeshua, in the name of our Messiah, should we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah, or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethlehem.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L.org. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and shalom.